0: I was talking to someone the other day, and she was sharing about her anxiety and fear, and how the practice of rain has really helped her with that. Is everybody, anybody, everybody, everybody familiar with the practice of rain? R A I N. Um, and it's funny because we were talking about Tara Brock earlier uh, this afternoon, and because she was in town this week speaking. And she is really a person who has helped to, I don't wanna say popularize, but really she writes about the practice of rain quite often. And it was originally attributed to Michelle McDonald, who's a teacher in Hawaii, but Tara has really, really, Written about it quite a bit, I know she did in her book *Radical Acceptance*, and I think she has also in her new book just came out called *Radical Compassion*. And she talks about this practice, which is a way of being with whatever your experience is. And I thought it was it was you know apropos because as I said, I was talking to this friend about fear, and I was just thinking about reflecting on fear that we live in a very It can seem like a very frightening world. For a lot of people, it is a very frightening world. And we also live in a culture that creates fear for a particular purpose. We have an administration that utilizes that as a means of uh, uh, getting what it wants. Um, Fear of the other, fear of immigrants, fear of them, fear of this, fear of that. Um, we have commercials that instill in us fear of getting older, uh, fear of fear of all kinds of things. It's it's really quite it's quite extraordinary. Now I saw something today. Somebody posted something. I don't know where it was talking about. Forget all those other things it's the coronavirus that's gonna get you. and It's like, oh yeah, I had, there was a comedian, Alonzo Bowden, who I love, and he talked about this a few years ago, part of his routine. He's like, "What happened? whatever happened to bird flu? Wasn't that gonna kill us? And then Ebola was gonna kill us, and, and coronavirus. I mean, coronavirus is I'm not demeaning it at all. It's incredibly serious. And these things get blown out of proportion. And it's also like, you know, you know what i'm talking about you know they take something and then they scare the scare the, the willies out of you what they scare the purchaser they scare the purchaser in you yeah you better buy this to be okay with this to be safe or whatever whatever their intention is so fear is very often a component of of manipulation and it's also, uh, it's also very, very common because we have our own experiences that kind of um, lead to being fearful um, because of our growing up, because of the experiences we have had, our conditioning, to put it in a Buddhist term. But it doesn't always show up as fear. It shows up as guilt or shame or um, um, all these other types of things. Uh, anger, judging, critical voices, those are kind of ways that we manage fear. Internally, I was a person who was never afraid of anything. I thought, if you asked me and I did have someone suggest I do a fear list, why why don't you write a list of your fears? And I had the hardest time because I didn't think I was afraid of anything. I was tough. I grew up in New York City. Went to high school in the Bronx. I'm I'm tough, right? You know, I just get that uh, kind of demeanor. I'm not afraid of anything. You know, when I was a kid, though, I was afraid of spontaneously combusting. <laughs> it was like some random fear because <laughs> I read one of those books where they described it, and I went. Uh. But in general, I wasn't afraid of anything until. I, but I really worked on this. I wanted to. I wanted to do this list and. I really investigate because the person suggested that it might be helpful. And what I ended up doing one day, it occurred to me uh, that I needed a whole bunch of things. I needed to be liked. I needed to be right. I needed this. I needed that. And when I looked at that, I realized those were my fears, but they were disguised as needs. This is something I must have instead of saying, I'm terrified people won't like me. I'm terrified of being wrong terrified of these things so there was this this look into seeing oh my goodness i am a pile of fear i'm i that's you know that because of my upbringing because of my conditioning because of what i dealt with as a child this is how i moved through the world and not seeing it um is is uh Well, not seeing it is is kind of, you know, having as, again, in Buddhist terminology, having dust in our eyes, not seeing clearly what's happening, and having it disguised as something else. Uh, Oftentimes, people talk about under anger, there's fear. You know, the the anger is a way of dealing with this this fear. So to um, um, recognize that, the hindrances. When you think about the hindrances, there's aversion, you know, pushing away what we don't want, that there's, there's probably an undercurrent of fear in there. You know, this craving, this need to get what we want, this restlessness that I got to take care of something, or the dullness, the torpor, that's a way of dealing with If I just check out, you know, stick my fingers in my ears, if I stick my head in the ground, they won't be able to see me, and then I'll be okay. So there's all this undercurrent of nervousness and anxiety that feeds a lot of our behaviors. Fear of missing out. Did we say something about that earlier? You know, FOMO. That's a that was a big one for me. It's like there's the the grass might be greener over there, and which is going to benefit me more, you know? And that sounds like fun, and it's like I don't know what to do, ah! and that leads to a lot of discomfort. That's 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 dissatisfaction right there. That that dukkha, um that inability to be with what is or look clearly at what our experience is. Fear keeps us from connecting with others. A couple of you were on the retreat last week and we talked about connection, and it's like, yeah, that is a barrier. Because if, if I'm afraid, then I need to make sure I'm safe somehow, and, and there's all this, this, um, these gyrations that we go through to, to uh, take care of ourselves. Um, there is um, trauma, trauma, and a lot of us have experienced types of trauma, and there's a really uh, uh, this visceral experience when we're triggered that is not none of this stuff is our fault none of this stuff is our fault, but it's there and it's just kind of this 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 autopilot reaction which makes perfect sense but to understand it and to see what's happening is really important and many of us don't go go to that place where don't turn towards we do whatever we can to get away and there's a paragraph that i have that i i don't know whether i copied it from somewhere and didn't put a citation or if i wrote it but um i'm going to read it so either i wrote this or someone else did (laughs) I can't credit them. Um, fear wakes us up in the middle of the night. Even fears that have been buried can show up at 3, three, eight, three o'clock in the morning. Hazy memories come out of the fog and we feel them even more than we, 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 even more than we remember the details. Cold sweat, unease, unpleasantness in our bodies, heart races, and a million frightening scenarios come from the mind, perhaps with, nothing to, perhaps with nothing to do with what's underneath. We numb, we blame, we act out, we just don't look. So when those things rise up, and I'm a three o'clock in the morning person, not everyone is, but that's kind of, it shows up, I'll wake up at three in the morning and just be like, holy shit, what if? And one of, when those sentences that start with what if are fear-based, I believe my experience has been that they are fear based. What if this happens? What if that doesn't happen? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? They can be paralyzing. This anxiety, this fear, can be absolutely paralyzing. You know, and um, I talk about the year to live practice, which I which I facilitate, and the question that Stephen Stephen Levine wrote the book about. You know, people come to the the practice of Of the year to live thinking that it's to face their fear of death and a lot of people do it's it's living a year as though you only had one year left but he talks about this is a line he has in exploring the fear of death it was the fear of life we realized needed to be investigated the fear of life these things that just kind of encase us and we don't investigate so the invitation is to Begin to investigate that, because that suffering, that tr- being trapped by that fear, however it shows up, is, can be debilitating, can be debilitating. So this is where I thought um, the RAIN practice would be helpful. So there is there, or there is fear, and how do we work with these emotions? So RAIN stands for, it's an acronym, uh, recognize, what's happening, allow it to be there, accept it to be there, um, investigate it or take an interest in it, and then N, the last one used to, uh, it's traditionally been non-identification, like don't don't put it on like an overcoat and become what you're looking at. But I saw recently that um, Tara Brock changed, she, she thinks nurture is Perhaps a little better, and I like that one too. In fact, a couple of years ago, when I was talking about rain, somebody the the last the N has always been felt clunky. Um, so I like nurture. Somebody else said change it to like rail, recognize, allow, investigate, and let go. And Tars suggests that the non identification is kind of the result of rain rather than the fourth letter. So. Just going through these, recognizing that the experience is not the story, which is what you're starting to do in meditation. Meditation is a training to see that the story is merely that story that we've created. What is that story? You know, I don't know, I'm not likable, I'm, I'm, or whatever, whatever it is. So then, there's the fear. Oh, I'm not likable. So then, there's the fear that I won't have any friends, or I won't be. I can't quit this job because I'll never get another job. And then what? So we each have our stories that we buy into because they're so real and so personal, and they they feel. We feel them viscerally, whether we're aware of it or not because we're often so disconnected, but we feel them viscerally. So we recognize that we begin to see what's going on, to pause, and recognize when you're starting to spin out, oh, that's the story. That's the story. The fear, oh, I'm never going to get another job. Oh, that's a story. Is that true? I don't know. I've not even ever, I haven't applied for a job. And so of course you won't get a job if you don't apply for a job or whatever the fear is. So recognize, oh, that's the story. Can I see it for what it is? And instead of going with the story, it's like, recognizing what's underneath or recognizing the experience in the body. What the story says, I'm never going to get another job. The story says they don't like me. The story says everybody else got invited to the party and I didn't. The story says whatever your particular point of discomfort is, because we all have those places that we suffer mightily from and they're different for each of us. So recognizing your edge, recognizing that place that's like, ah, so painful.
1: When you are there,
0: it's so easy for the mind to just gallop away. And this is where the training in this practice comes in, where you go, no, let go of that, because they're nowhere near here. What's happening right here? recognize that you're being the amygdala you're being hijacked by the amygdala the reptilian brain that fight flight or freeze mentality Ah, i like that amygdala hijack that terminology so recognize what's going on and then allow it to be there come into uh, a relationship with the experience where is it you know? what's happening? Okay, this is unpleasant. This 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 story is happening. You know, my uh, uh, there's a suggestion that you find a word that's kind of like a grounding word to bring you into the present. Like yes, or or a phrase. What is this? Some kind of a little mantra. Okay, what is this? That's that's very that's the zen. Very traditional. Isn't what is this? What is this? What is this? Mine. I love right now. It's like this. It's it's a shifting. Okay. It brings me into what's happening right now. I can I can still spend days in that place of feeling. You know, really being in the story, being in the fear, the discomfort, the dissatisfaction, the disconnection. And it takes an effort to let go and say, "Oh, what's happening? Oh, there's, the, there's that experience. There's that experience. We don't fix it. We don't change it because that's the initial um, reactivity—is to fix, Do some, you know, clean it up with some kind of thing. I, you know, especially if you've been practicing, it's like you're not supposed to feel this. You know, get into spiritual bypass. It's like, no, no I don't have to feel that. I'm going to go over here. So." being with it, acknowledge it, allow it to be here. This is why I always give the instruction, let go of judgment, let go of criticism. Because when you start judging and criticizing how you feel, you're pushing it away. You're trying to stuff it or push it or, or change it so it's not what it is. And you have to be with what it is. Allow it to be there, accept it. So that's the A. Um, Investigate, take an interest in it. Where is it in the body? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is, it, is it in your chest? Is it in your belly, in your tricep, in your jaw, in your ear, in your head, in your forehead, in your nose? Everybody has a different place for where these emotions show up. Where is it? When you think of something that's painful or, or challenging, and just reflecting on that, where does it show up in your belly? Mm-hmm. When I think about one of my challenges has always been and those of you who have been sitting with me for a while know this because I talk about it because it's a huge one and it's, it's saying difficult things, saying something that I know or in my head I know the other person won't want to hear or I know they won't want to hear because it's not something that they want to hear like, like I've not had to do it. <laughs> recently, but to fire someone, you know, let somebody go. They're not going to want to hear that. It's something unpleasant or leaving a relationship or telling someone that what they're doing is unacceptable or not okay. Those are difficult things. I would just run away. I'm the, I'm the flee, fleer, so I would disappear. And it's because of the conditioning of my, my growing up years but it became really painful for me. If I thought about having to tell somebody something difficult and it was like, uh, I would just like, I would disappear, I disappeared a lot. Um, I walked away from a lot of things. Um, if I, there was no way I could get out of it, I would struggle and struggle and struggle and, and rationalize and, and try and find some way I didn't have to some kind of manipulation. I was like, I don't want to have to da, 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 da. If they, you know, and then blaming it. it just the gamut of all these, these methods to deal with stuff I didn't want to deal with. Um, so recognizing that that's what's, rec- the story for me is, oh shit, I want to run away again. I'm gonna cash in my 401k and move to the Bronx. And I'll never be found. Right? <laughs> right? So I will do that. And so what I have to, re- I, I can, and I can still go there. I've, it's, in the last year I've actually looked at apartments online. So, you know, it's like my old neighborhood. It's like, oh, that's not so bad. But I can do that. So what I have to do is be willing to recognize, oh, you're in that running away place. That means come back to what's underneath, what's really going on. Oh, you have to make that phone call. You have to write that letter. You have to do X, Y, or Z, which you're afraid that person isn't gonna like. So there's this, this, what's going on, go into that, that, oh, that tightness in the belly. That's just so, it's just wound up so tight, and it's just hanging there. It's just like, eh it's never going to let go. So there's that happening. And then what's underneath that? That's where the investigation is. What's happening? And you ask these questions, um, what wants attention? Or what do I believe? What's going on here? What needs to be said? Is there something that needs to be said? Something that needs to be addressed? So that's the investigation. That's taking an interest in your experience. It's not the story of they don't like me, they'll hate me, they will yell at me. It's the, oh, there's this deep fear. The fear of not being liked. The fear of not being liked. Or the fear of being yelled at, whatever, whatever it is. And then to nurture that, to say, that's okay. It's okay to be with these feelings. And why wouldn't you feel like that? This is your deep conditioning. It's a deep conditioning. It makes sense. The recognition that that, that this feeling makes sense, and it's, why wouldn't you have it? You've got this conditioning. Why wouldn't it show up? And so when you begin to... Recognize, allow, see what's there, and nurture, be kind to it. The result of that is not being, you know, it's not who you are. It's this conditioned response. And it may always be there for me. I'm not dead. It's not gone. I still get to work on this. But the impact has lessened over the years. I'm no longer paralyzed by this fear, by this anxiety. I now see it for what it is and go, oh, here it is again. Can I be gentle? Can I go, oh man, this is so painful? Can I nurture it, be compassionate towards it? And then that separates it from the action that has to be taken. I still have to do the action. I can do the action and stay out of the story Recognizing that if they yell at me, it has nothing to do with who I am. It's meaningless. It does not impact me. Whereas the olden days, the fear was, it will lessen me. It will, it will diminish me, demean me in some way. But if it's not, it's not me, then they can yell all they want. It has no impact on, on my, my, my being. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Yeah. So to, there's this separation. Whereas before they were so entangled, I mean, this helps us. You know, it's this this disentangling. The Buddha used that word a lot. We disentangle from the from the um, from the, uh, the the conditioning, the stories. And so, I what I can say is that it's lessened a great amount. I rarely spend time fantasizing um, that long. <laughs> It's. I still go there. I still want to run away. I still try and figure out how to get out. But the recognition of it is very is so much faster. And then when you know seeing it for what it is, you know I see you, Mara. That Buddha talked about that. Seeing it is oftentimes all you need to shift the perspective, and and it it dissipates. Oftentimes it dissipates. There's a story about Milarepa that. uh, uh, when he's like with the demons, you know, the cave, his cave is taken over by demons and he finally says whatever and then they they dissipate, they're gone, you know. He tries to bargain with them and they get stronger and then, you know, he says okay and some of them go away and then he finally sticks his head and I think I got the story right. I used to tell it long all the time but I think I'm getting it right. He sticks his, his mouth in his head in the demon's mouth and says whatever. I'm roughly translating, and the demon just disappears. It's when you just let go, let go. Is that the Mm allowing? That's, allowing is to let it be there. And then investigating, you know, seeing what's there and just letting it be, yeah, allowing it to be there. Saying whatever, right, now it's like this. It's the the whole kind of package is is an allowance. So, um, and it, it may never change. It may never change, it's the, it's the definition of equanimity, which is uh, a developing a deep intimacy with your own experience without preference. A deep intimacy with your own experience without, without preference. Um, so using RAIN, um, somebody asked me the other night whether uh, this is like, a, can be a practice, like when you sit, Is that what you would do or is it, you know, when you're, you know, walking around and all of a sudden you feel that anxiety arising or whatever your, you know, your trigger is or that experience is happening, is that when you use it? You can use this anytime. It can be a practice. It's helpful not necessarily just dealing with anxiety, but it's a good practice for just sitting. What's happening? Can I be with it? You know, in fact... Chitta, I mean, excuse me, sati, the word that's usually translated as mindfulness, also means returning, remembering, coming back. And it means being with. So sati, when you cultivate sati, you're cultivating this just being with. Um, I was on retreat in December and Gil Fronstel was talking about it as seeing your experience and just being very matter-of-fact about it. Oh, there it is. Matter of fact. Matter of fact. Just be with it. Mm -hmm. And friendly towards it, you know, friendly. Matter of fact and friendly. So that is really the gist of it. So this can be utilized anytime. It doesn't have to just be with fear. It's just when there's that, um, just when you're experiencing anything. Uh, And yeah, like my friend who I was talking to, she, she does it when she's feeling that anxiousness arising. Um, but when you practice, start small. Don't start with the most ginormous thing that's bothering you. As with any of these things, start start small practicing. You know? Don't dive in. Um, don't, and, and when we do this work, we don't have to do it alone. I, I have had... Um, teachers along the path help me, because when you're turning towards some things that can be really painful, it can be helpful to have someone with you saying, leading you. It's like when you meditate in a group. I mean, sometimes people say all the time, it's easier for me to sit 30 minutes, 40 minutes when I'm in a group than when I'm home alone. It's because you have someone with you. And so if there's something that's extraordinarily difficult, you know, maybe meditation isn't the way through it. A lot of times therapy or other, um, other um, methods are helpful. But you don't have to do it alone. If there's a teacher or a, a community member that, that has been down this path and can work with you, that's, that's helpful too. It doesn't mean you're always, I mean, you never can do it alone. I think sometimes you have to have somebody take you by the hand sometimes when you're first dealing with it, and then you get this muscle memory of how to connect with it later on. Um, Just go, oh yeah, soften, that's what that feels like. Allow, that's what that feels like. I can do that. I can breathe through this. And be patient, be patient. Yeah? Can you um, give an example like it as a story, which is very unpleasant? Yeah. And investigate what, whether that's true, or investigate where that goes So you're there, it's like, okay, letting go of the story and coming into the physical experience of it. Where is that showing up in the body? And then resting with that experience, feeling it, actually really being with the the tightness in the chest, feeling that, and and then saying, is there anything there that wants to be said? What's underneath that? I think, you know, it seems like it's like there's anger. What's underneath the anger? Oh, fear. Fear. What's underneath the fear of this sense of inadequacy? You know, and, and, and you just kind of let it speak. Try not to put words in its, in its mouth. But just allow, this is what you're doing when you're quieting the mind. When we practice and we quiet the mind. You make space for what's underneath to arise. What what emotions have been buried to arise? So there's this whatever scent, whatever is under there, um, not a story, but an experience, an emotion, perhaps. You just you just you're just with kindly with kindness. It's okay, and you may not have an answer. This is why I say you have to be patient, because we want. I want to know. And sometimes all you do is calm. Sometimes all you do is break the story and get out of the story. It's the story that's, that's, that's the, the trigger for the anxiety. And if you can just break that, that path, that stream that you're running down or floating on or whatever metaphor what I'm smashing. Hmm? What are the stories to you know that 's your the story is the story oftentimes the story has nothing to do with the present moment. The story is yesterday or the story is tomorrow what you 're dealing with is the emotion that 's present right now, yeah, maybe you did some shit some years ago, and there 's some tremendous guilt there, and so you you 've got the the whip out and you 're you know flailing your on yourself you know that 's fine, but it's not who you are, yeah, the story's not who you are, and it's and it's history. You have to come to the emotion that's present. And yeah, you grow up with some things that happened, things happened, that kind of um, cause you to react in certain ways because it was how you had to handle your, your experience. People who are abused have to learn how to manage the world. You know, um, people of color in this country have to learn how to walk through the world. So, uh, there's lots of people that have to learn how to maneuver, but it, sometimes they get congealed into stories or you replay history. What you have to deal with is the emotion that's present right now. Not, you get out of the story and say what's present right now, this emotion that's here this feeling of sadness or the feeling of grief. That's what we tend to. Because the story is usually never here. And it's not who we are, like Leslie Leslie said. We're not the story. The story becomes codified, and, and it's like, this is it. But as you practice more, you begin to see how there's there's it just crumbles. It's a story, and it may not be true, because our memories are faulty, I have gone back to my journals from years gone by, and and gone because I remember that, so I can find it and go. Oh, it's actually not what happened. But I've created, and you know, neuroscience has shown that memories that are together kind of bleed into each other, and so things get fuzzy. And there's all kinds of studies. My favorite is the one the Challenger. When people saw the explosion, they wrote what they experienced the day after they, they all wrote and they went back 15 years later or whatever, however many years later, and wrote what their experience was and compared the two and they were different. So, so you can't, that's, it's not, it's not a, um, a solid ground on which to settle. That's why you have to only, it, it's best to hang out with what's present here. And when, when people work with people in trauma, yeah, there's the trauma, but the emotion is happening right now. So you work with this reaction and they try and break the, you know, I um, don't have the, I, I'm not the best at, at explaining, but they work with breaking the cycle that keeps repeating over and over and over again. So does that make sense? Yeah, so you come, you, you hang out with what's right now Which, oftentimes, the fear of facing it is greater than the actual experience of facing it. It's like, oh, oh, oh." and it's like, oh, that was it. So, to be willing to sit in the fire, as they say. It's the path of purification where you just kind of burn off all this excess stuff that just keeps you so trapped. The stories that just... Yeah, the story was true, and I don't need to keep reliving it. Yeah, I can move on from the from being being chained to it. So, um, any other questions? There's a there's a, a sutta where the Buddha talks about um, fear and terror, and he says that when um, monks talking about monks when monks are not you know solid in their in their in their concentration and their mindfulness and their ethical behavior that's when fear and terror take over so when they're not you know solid in this practice solid in in doing this work that's when it's easy to be gripped by the fear and the terror and then there's the metta sutta where they talk about the which is the loving-kindness sutta, where the monks, are, uh, the monks go to the Buddha because they're afraid of the devas, the devas, the spirits in the trees are scaring them. They're fearful. And he says, offer loving-kindness. So it's you treat, you bring the kindness, you bring the kindness to address the, instead of our, what we do is we lash ourselves oftentimes, thinking it will make us better people. Beat this into you. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really serve. So, and then there's, I found this in Tara Brock's, one of Tara Brock's, I only have one book of hers, is um, True Refuge, and she talks, she puts this, she has this little, little stanza, I think it's from a poem by a woman, Dorothy Hunt, and it says, peace in this moment without judgment, that is all. This moment in the heart space, where everything that is, is welcome. So peace in this moment without judgment, that is all. This moment in the heart space, where everything that is, is welcome. Just reminding me of the story that Sidney told us, um, the, the city about, she ended it with oh, she witness, but it's really, I see you, I see you, I see you, you. Yes. I, see you. Mm-hmm. I see what is happening now, mm-hmm. and you see it, and once you can clearly see it, the doubt disappears, mm-hmm. all of disappears. yeah, and they may come back, but you have that insight, you know, the Buddha's story is that they didn't come back. That Mara kept, said this story about Mara, you know, in his awakening that the armies of Mara kept coming after him. And he's like, I see you. I know what's going on here. I'm not going to get caught in this aversion and this craving and this doubt. I see it for what it is. And, and oftentimes, if, even, um, I know we've all had that experience where you thought something was something and then you realize it's something else. The, what is it? The doors of perception? That one. But then, even Plato's cave, where all you see are the shadows on the back wall. And you think you have the full picture, but you don't. You know? Or you. Um the elephant, yeah, five blind men and all touching the elephant saying, what's an elephant? And, oh, it's this big round thing. It's like, no, the guy who has his leg and then, you know, the one who's got his his, his tail. And it's like, no, oh, this skinny little thing. And Somebody's got his ears. It's a big flat thing. And it's like, no, it's none of those things. So it's a really, or it's like, you know, there's a rat in your bedroom. And it's like, you turn on the light and it's like, it's a sock on the floor. <laughs> so... So all those things. It's really paying attention and being willing to see that, you know, we don't have all the answers and the mind is just going to do, the mind is not personal, although it feels very personal. It's just this, this bunches of neurons flying around and to, to not get so caught up in them is where there's freedom. There's freedom in that disengaging from that being caught. So... Those are my my thoughts on fear and anxiety and using this practice to really, not just with fear and anxiety, but using this practice to just, um, um, you know, see things for what they are. I think it's really helpful.